The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Good morning. It's Wednesday, the 5th of July in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, we look at just why European bank shares are still struggling to recover from the hit they took over the regional banking crisis in the US. The UK's financial watchdog is setting out plans for a single UK price feed for bond trades. And yes, it's more interesting than it sounds. And some really stark numbers around climate change. Global temperatures hit a record high earlier this week. We'll start, though, with a roundup of our top stories. A new report from Bloomberg Intelligence says the outlook for European banks is being clouded by uncertainty around interest rates, the economic situation and commercial real estate concerns. Bloomberg's Ewan Potts reports. European bank shares plunged around 20% during the US regional banking crisis and they still haven't fully recovered. And although fears of deposit flight in the wake of the collapse of Credit Suisse haven't materialised, Bloomberg Intelligence says that the earnings outlook for European banks remains shaky. BI analysts see higher risks from housing and commercial real estate weighing on net income. Another key question facing the sector, whether regulators will impose higher capital and liquidity requirements. That could end up hitting dividends and buybacks. In London, I'm Ewan Potts, Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. Chinese President Xi Jinping has called on nations to turn away from decoupling and the cutting of supply chains. The comments came a day after China itself imposed limits on exports of two key metals used to make advanced semiconductors. But President Xi says that he wants to work with nations to bring down trade barriers. China stands ready to work with all sides to keep to the right direction of economic globalization oppose protectionism, unilateral sanctions, and the overstretching of national security, and reject the moves of setting up barriers, decoupling, and severing supply chains. The words of Xi Jinping that are spoken by a translator. The Chinese president's comments also come a day after Beijing postponed a trip to the country by Europe's top diplomat, Joseph Borrell. No reason was given for that postponement. Here in the UK, the Financial Conduct Authority is outlining plans for a single price feed for bonds. The consolidated tape will collate the price, size and timing of trades across the country. The FCA believes the move will help to make trading more efficient and improve the competitiveness of the UK's capital markets. The European European Union last week struck a provisional deal to create its own consolidated tape for equities, fixed income and other assets. The Prime Minister has been questioned by MPs on the Liaison Committee six months since he unveiled his five priorities for the country. Rishi Sunak has admitted that the economy is proving difficult to tame, but he is committed to halving inflation. 
It's clearly inflation proving more persistent than people anticipated, but that doesn't mean that the plans and the policy options that have been deployed are the wrong ones. Indeed, they're the right ones. You know, that's the right toolkit that you need to deploy at bringing inflation down. Meanwhile, Sunak told the committee he is doing everything he can to support the NHS on its 75th anniversary to make sure that it celebrates more milestones in the future. He also spent the afternoon denying claims that he's been missing from important sessions in the House of Commons. HSBC will become the first British bank to test an advanced data security system being run by BT, Amazon and Toshiba. So-called quantum key distribution is a type of cyber defence financial institutions think could help protect trillions of dollars of transactions from increasingly sophisticated hackers. HSBC says the trial will help it better analyse threats and work out how to protect data. And finally, another grim milestone has been reached in the continuing battle against climate change. Bloomberg's Ed Baxter has the story. Global temperatures hit a record high on Monday. The average worldwide temperature was 63 degrees Fahrenheit, topping the past high set in August of 2016. The National Centers for Environmental Prediction say the new high underscores the extremity of the 2023 summer in the Northern Hemisphere and brings into focus the slow pace of global progress on curbing emissions. And their estimates that the current El Nino phenomenon is set to push global temperatures still higher. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. Well, the news comes as McKinsey joined the growing chorus of business voices warning that metals, which are key to clean energy, face shortages in the coming years. A report by the management consultancy firm says that the rising cost of nickel and rare earth elements will likely suppress the wider adoption of electric cars, wind turbines and solar panels. So some of our top stories this morning. I mean, it's worth reflecting on the the scale, I suppose, of of that milestone being reached, uh, hitting the highest temperature on Monday. Um, Frederica Otto of the Grantham Institute for Climate Change and the Environment Imperial College here in London describing it as a death sentence for people and ecosystems. I know. Uh, it's really pretty grim. It's also grim because El Nino is back. Um, so this is the weather phenomenon that in 2016 saw the hottest ever year on record. It is back and it's expected to trigger a surge in temperatures. The weather pattern usually lasts sort of nine to 12 months, but actually the UN um, World Meteorological Organization say that it probably won't hit fully the, the world until next year. So actually 2024 could be kind of the worst impact when it comes to El Nino. I think specifically for the UK, though, June was the hottest month on record mm. in Britain ever. But the thing that is less reported is that sea temperatures between the UK and Ireland have also been unusually hot, several degrees above the normal temperature. So there are real worries about about marine temperatures as well as you know the, the air temperature. Yeah, of course, the, and the implications of that for the broader ecosystem as well. Um, a, a little bit perhaps closer to to home in in London. Um, a story from our colleague Olivia Konateahulu looking at rents in London and particularly how the massive increase that's been seen in rent in London. So thirteen percent the increase uh, from May to in the 12 months to May of this year, mm. uh, particularly hitting women hard. And that's because uh, that an, a woman now needs an average salary to double in London to be able to afford uh, to pay rent. And that is um, 
figures from our analysis rather by the estate agents Hamptons International mm. for Bloomberg um, a really stark figures when we think about how expensive it's now become to live in the capital. Yeah, it is staggeringly expensive. It basically takes more than 60% of earnings to be able to rent a property in London. But then I think that's the issue around affordability. You know, affordability is paying 30% of your income to rent. So, uh, yeah, a, a major issue given the run up in rental prices that we've seen in the UK. Well, let's get more now on that Bloomberg Intelligence report looking at European banks. Higher interest rates, the economic slowdown and concerns about the commercial real estate sector all clouding the outlook for the sector, which still hasn't seen share prices recover to levels seen before the US regional banking crisis struck. Philip Richards, who's senior bank analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, joins us now with the details. Good morning to you, uh, Phil. Let's start with this idea of where shares are trading at the moment. Are fears about liquidity and deposit flight still present in this sector? Yeah, good morning. Um, Not really, actually. I mean, the deposit balances of the European banks have actually been remarkably stable. And we saw that in the first quarter results um, back in May. And we very much expect that to happen again um, when they start reporting in a couple of weeks' time. Um, You know, the balance sheets of the the banks are very different to what we saw for the US regionals, much bigger liquidity buffers, less concentrated deposits, and far fewer of those really large deposits, which had the deposit flights and what we saw um, back um, um, in the US. So bottom line is, no, actually, most of the balances fall below the government guarantee and actually say they've been quite stable. But what what is the risk of the banks is is the, um, the earnings side of it. Yeah, absolutely. So the kind of issues with um, SVB and and what happened in March, perhaps uh, that is fading or fewer worries around that. But European banks, of course, still lag US lenders in terms of valuation. They trade at much lower multiples. Yes, indeed. And there's a whole host of reasons why that is the case. I mean, economic outlook is seen as much stronger in the US versus what we have across Europe. The regulatory environment is more supportive. But also, just simply look at the profitability. The um, you know, JP Morgan will be on 15% ROE, um, and the other big banks are um, well into the double digits, whereas the European banks are trading at you know, 7, 8, 9%, and, and that's you know, the big driver. Higher interest rates, of course, have led to earnings estimates being raised for European banks, but why hasn't that helped to lift share prices? Yeah, it's a very fair point. And say, if you look back uh, over three years, the net balance of uh, EPS was basically earnings um, for the European banks have been upgraded every single month over, say, over that three-month period. Um, you know, revenues up about 16% on average if you look at this year's earnings, driven by those interest rate hikes. Um, however, that's not really so. The earnings have been boosted. That's really not flowing through to share prices. Um, partly because the um, investors are looking ahead, what's coming, um, and what we do see is those revenue upgrades very much coming to an end. You know, interest rate hikes maybe another 25 or 50 basis points left, but that's you know, coming to the end of that cycle. But also the pass-through to depositors has been very low. So your savings balance is still quite low, but we expect that to be ramped up quite aggressively you know, in the coming months. And therefore, the, the margin for the banks will be continuing to fall. Okay, so then what is the outlook for European investment banks, of course, also after the takeover of a credit suite by UBS? Yeah, you would think taking out one of the largest players would be uh, positive for the sector, but that's probably not the case. It's much more likely that it's the, it's the major U.S. players, which you could say you've got the much stronger balance sheets and much stronger profitability, which will come in and steal some of that share. Um, so the European banks, you know, as you mentioned there, a number of them are trading at what you would normally consider crisis valuations, 0.3, 0.4 times book value. Um, that's basically implying, you know, it's the structure, the structure of value. So. Yeah, the outlook is quite grim. And if you're going to an earnings cycle now turning and getting more difficult, it's hard to see why that will recover anytime soon. What is the key thing to watch in this bank earnings season? 
Uh, we'll say it, it is that top line. I mean, we know costs, they rose about 8% on average over the last um, year and a bit, and they're probably going to maybe a bit less now because inflation is beginning to be under control. It's still going to be growing at 5 6 7%. Um, and if you haven't got the big revenue upgrades, which you had before, then actually you're going to start seeing costs growing faster than revenues, therefore cost income ratios rising, efficiency getting worse, and therefore hitting the bottom line. So. Um, you know, that's a much weaker outlook for the banks. And so, yeah, I think what happens to revenues from here? Will they start turning? And that's the key issue. OK, Philip, thank you so much for being with us. Bloomberg Intelligence's senior bank analyst, Philip Richards, there joining us with the details. The look ahead to the bank earnings season. Up next, the Bank of England considers forcing foreign banks to replace branches with subsidiaries and the CEOs who pull in more than $100 million a year. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, the paper review on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The news you need to know from today's papers. Joining us this morning, Bloomberg's Leanne Gerrans. The headline in the Financial Times, the Bank of England considers forcing foreign banks to replace branches with subsidiaries. Good morning. Yes, Caroline, good morning to you. So we're going to just break this story down slightly. So this is on the front of the FT, as you said. The BOE is looking at plans to force more international banks to set up subsidiaries here in the UK. Now, the move is part of a review of the recent collapse of Silicon Valley Bank may lower the thresholds requiring foreign banks with corporate businesses in the country to set up subsidiaries with their own capital and liquidity. So the new rules are hoped to ease the handling of failed international lenders. So we do remember the subsidiary of SVB did mm. collapse here in the UK and that was something that was dealt with. But encouraging more banks to basically set up these daughter companies or subsidiaries, whatever you want to call them, are likely to be super unpopular with the industry. And this is all according to the Financial Times. It's because they are more expensive than maintaining branches here in the UK. But they have said this is a very contentious issue if you read the piece in the newspaper. And there's also very thin sourcing. So it's an interesting piece, something to definitely read. But more about, you know, mm. international banks setting up subsidiaries here in the UK. Yeah, the Bank of England's uh, regulatory arm chief, Sam Woods, telling the paper, or t- saying back in March that the UK hosted around 150 branches um, with some £6 trillion in assets as well. So there are a number of companies due to be uh, affected if this rule change comes through. Let's go to the Times next, Leanne, uh, which says G- uh, Jim Ratcliffe, uh, been speaking to them, says the Competitions and Markets Authority is hostile to business. Yeah, he's pretty annoyed, actually. So the billion uh, boss of the chemical 
Michael's firm, Ineos. He's basically called the competition watchdog here in the UK, hostile and overly aggressive to British business. And this is all over a company he was trying to buy. So the Competition and Markets Authority has blocked a Jim Radcliffe's move to buy a concrete business from a Swiss group for around £790 million this year. So huge sums of money. Now, what happened is Seeker, the Swiss company in Ineos, did strike a deal for Ineos to acquire the business, but agreed to terminate the contract in March after the CMA raised competition concerns. So Radcliffe claimed that this is yet another example of a deal being stopped that would benefit the UK and handed over to America, who are absolutely delighted. And clearly, he's absolutely furious. Now, the CMAs also face so much criticism and being in the spotlight. And that's after blocking Microsoft's takeover of Activision Blizzard last year that we did cover extensively. We also know Jim Radcliffe in the running for Manchester United Football Club. But he's really hit out here at the competition concerns. And he's saying it's just far too difficult and hostile for British businesses to acquire companies. Mm, Okay. And lastly, the Wall Street Journal has the headline, Meet the CEOs who pull in more than $100 million a year. Yeah, and they're not who you expect, actually, Caroline and Stephen. But nonetheless, let's go into it. The highest paid CEOs aren't always the ones running the biggest companies. Who would have guessed? The CEO of Hertz, Peloton and Pinterest actually all earned over more than $100 million last year. Now, this exceeds almost every single CEO in the S&P 500, including Tim Cook. He apparently made $99 million last year. Not far off $100 million, but not quite $100 million. But the man who runs a company called CS Disco, this is a cloud a services provider that caters to attorneys and has a market capitalization of about $500 million. So he's absolutely crushing it. But obviously, we would think the biggest companies made the biggest money because, as we know, the S&P 500, they are seen as the largest companies, but it's actually not true. And all of this comes from the C-Suite Comp, an executive pay data and analytics companies. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. 
More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.